0: this morning so we'll take another stab at you this evening and see if we can uh, teach you a lesson about coming to hear me preach and um, I did speak with pastor this afternoon and he sends his best to everyone he he uh, had a good morning and he's looking forward to preaching again this evening uh, there at brother Castro's church and uh, he told me that he's not sure whether he's going to drive back tonight or tomorrow and I told him for his wife's sake to please wait in the morning if you've ever traveled with or tried, are tempted to follow Pastor Smith, you'd know what I'm talking about. Brother Larry knows quite well, and uh, it's best to drive in the day because that way people can see that missile coming at them and not, uh, not be quite so afraid. But you pray for him uh, as he travels home, and, and uh, we look forward to having him back in the pulpit on Wednesday night preaching to us. Take your Bibles with me this evening and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Very familiar verses to us as pastor has been conducting for the last year and a half a study in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to just read the first six verses tonight of Ephesians chapter 4. So if you'll stand with me as I read Ephesians chapter 4 beginning at verse number 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord... Beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight as we stand in this place for your mercy, for your grace, and your love shed upon us. Thank you, Father, for this church that you've given us. Thank you for the doctrine that we believe and teach in this church. The doctrine as we looked at this morning that was once delivered Unto the saints. And we thank you, Father, for our pastor and pray for him tonight as he's preaching in another church that you would give him power and grace and that you would bring him home safely to us. But now, as we take a few moments tonight to gather around your word, Holy Spirit of God, we yield ourselves to you and pray that you would speak to us and that you would teach us. I pray that Christ would be exalted and magnified in all that we will do tonight, and I pray that glory and honor would be the result for the Lord God for all that we will do. Speak to our hearts tonight. Help us tonight to make commitments to you and to honor those commitments, to yield ourselves into your service, and we thank you and we'll praise you for all these things, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul admonished us in Ephesians chapter 4 to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. And of course, that vocation is as ministers of the gospel. It's it's as witnesses for Christ. And our motto here at Berean is every saint a servant, every member a minister. And and I know that pastor himself echoes this feeling that uh, there is no such thing as full-time Christian workers, we are all Christian servants. We are all fulfilling a task and a purpose in this church. Each one of us is important to the, to the work of the ministry here in this place. Now, Paul tells us to walk worthy of the vocation that we're called, and this implies effort on our part. This is, this, as I said this morning, we have to do our part, and this is our part. Our part is to walk worthy. Our part is to live a life worthy of the Lord. Anytime we exhibit effort, we face resistance against that effort. The laws of physics tell us that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, and the Christian life is no different. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul states, "Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." This persecution that you and I will face comes from many sources. One of the sources that, from which we receive persecution is the flesh, our own flesh. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, we read, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And and the persecution we face in the Christian life often and most of the time comes from our own flesh. But not only does persecution come, come from the flesh, but it also comes from friends. In John chapter thirteen and verse twenty one we read, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit, and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And Judas, while we know him to be the betrayer of Christ, he ministered with Christ for three years. I'm sure he, to some degree, was a friend of Christ. And yet we see that Christ suffered persecution from his own friends. And we certainly must expect that persecution will come to us from from friends. But not only does this persecution come from flesh and friends, but thirdly it comes from, and this one is the most... Uh, discouraging at times of all, but it come from family. In Matthew chapter 10, in verse 36, we read, And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And yes, there are times when even our family persecute us for our faith. It is certain, though, that these trials in the life of the believer will come. Jesus didn't say trials might come. He said they shall come. And you and I will face persecutions. We will face trials. However, we can control certain areas of our life and thereby limit the avenues from which these trials will come. So tonight, I want to talk to you about spiritual traffic jams. How many of you have ever been caught in a traffic jam? Raise your hand. I know we all have, no doubt about it. Traffic jams are frustrating. They cause us to waste a great deal of time. Several years ago, I don't know, it was probably around 1995 or 96, my family and I took a trip to Disneyland, you know, the happiest place on earth. Happy for Mickey, because you're spending all your money there. But we took a trip to Disneyland. And normally, I would leave for Disneyland at 2 a.m. for two reasons. One is... So that I could, uh, I, I could beat all the traffic. And two was so that I didn't have to listen to the kids talking to me for eight hours about when we were going to be there. So we, we would leave at 2 a.m. and we would arrive at the park right around 10 a.m. And, and, and we would enjoy our time. And, but this one year they were all grown. And we, we thought, well, you know, they're not going to ask us when are we going to be there this year. So we'll, we decided to wait and leave at 8 o'clock in the morning to go to, the, to Disneyland. Well, that was a bad idea because we arrived in LA right at rush hour. We were three miles from the exit, and it took us three and a half hours to go that three miles. This was in August or July or August. It was hot. How many of you remember The Beast, my Ford LTD I used to drive? The Beast. We were in The Beast. No air conditioning. The only air conditioning I had was roll down the windows at 75 miles an hour. It's the only air conditioning we had. Oh, traffic was horrible. We moved inches at a time. But one day, uh, back in 1999, I believe, uh, a man who had his children in our school called me up and said, I've got a whole load of computers here. You can have them if you want them, but you, you have to come get them. So one, one morning, I, I borrowed a truck and I, I took off and I headed to, to, to North Santa Rosa, out near the airport, to pick up these, these donated computers. And as I approached um, Hearn Avenue, I just, it, traffic just came to a stop. And I was sitting there in traffic and I started thinking, what in the world causes traffic jams? This is ridiculous. And I started thinking about that. And as I was thinking about what causes traffic jams, it suddenly dawned on me that many of the reasons that traffic gets all snarled up are the same reasons that many Christians' lives get all snarled up as well. So I started making a list of things that cause traffic jams, and I was amazed at how accurate that is concerning Christians' lives. And so I would like tonight to make a few comparisons. Now, certainly, I I made a list much longer than this, but we don't have time to go down an entire long list. So I'm going to focus on four things tonight, four things that we need to concentrate on in our Christian life that will help us to keep our Christian life moving and growing and, and, and not get all snarled up and caught up in spiritual traffic jams. What causes spiritual traffic jams? And how can we avoid them? Well, number one is impatience. Impatience. As I was driving down the highway, I I observed that one of the problems with traffic is impatient drivers. Now, we have all seen this kind of driver. I, I hope you're not one of them. And if you are, I'm not picking on you, honestly. I've never seen you do it. But impatient drivers... Now, this driver is always in a hurry. Uh, this is the guy who leaves his home 15 minutes before work when he knows that it takes 35 minutes to drive there. Uh, this driver is a menace, a menace to everyone on the highway, squeezing in where there is no room, driving right up to your bumper as if that's going to help make the traffic move, passing on the shoulder. Uh, you ever seen those? They pass you on the right side. Uh, or are or, or driving in the in the, me, in the median lanes, in the middle. Impatient drivers. This driver is not concerned with anyone else on the highway. He only cares about himself. He is never satisfied with the posted speed limits. 20, when it's posted 25 miles an hour, he'll drive 40. If it's posted 45, he'll drive 60. If 60 is the posted speed, he'll drive 75. And if 70 is the posted speed, this guy's going to stream along at 90. The impatient driver. And the impatient driver creates problems that cause traffic jams. And let me say that the same is true with impatient Christians. Impatient Christians cause cause problems in the church and cause us to all uh, cause traffic jams within the church. They want what they want and they don't care how it affects any body else. They're not going to sit and wait patiently. They are going to push their way through. God does not move fast enough for these Christians, and they are going to just go on ahead and trust their own instincts. These believers remind me of, uh, turn with me to 2 Samuel, if you will. They remind me of a a Christian, or of of an Israelite named Amayaz, Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 18. Now, folks, don't look at the clock because I don't know how to tell time, so it doesn't matter. 2 Samuel chapter 18. I'm joking. I do know how to tell time. It's only 4.30. 2 Samuel chapter 18, and let's look at verse number 19. And we read here, then said Amias, the son of Zadok, Let me now run and and bear the king tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. Then said Joab to Cushai, Go tell the king what thou hast seen. And Cushai bowed himself to Joab and ran. Now, I don't have time to read the whole story tonight. You can read it later. It goes through verse 33. This guy, Emmaaz, he he had no idea what was going on, but he wanted to run to the king, and he wanted to give the message. Let let me run to the king. Joab, let me go. Joab said, you're not going to go. Maybe another day, but not today. You see, Emmaaz had no idea what was going on. Cushai was one of the soldiers who was involved in the battle, and he knew what happened. And Joab assigned Cushai the responsibility to go and bring news to the king. Amias had nothing to tell the king. He didn't know anything. But he kept pushing Joab. Let me go. Let me go. And finally, Joab said, fine, Amayas, you want to run? Go. Run to the king. And as it turns out, Amias was faster than Cushai. And he passed up Cushai running down the road. And he was the first one to get to the king. And the king said, uh, he got there, uh, he said, King, you're, you've been avenged of your enemies. And the king said, well, how's my son, Absalom? He said, oh, I don't know. So David said, well, go stand over there and just wait. And then Cushai came. And when Cushai got there, he told the king that he had the news for the king that, saw, that his son Absalom had been slain. You see, was like all these was like many Christians. They, they're just not going to wait on God. God is moving too slow, and and Lord, I'm sorry, I know you told me to wait here and be patient, but I can't wait and I can't be patient. I want what I want, and I want it now. And that's the condition of many believers. They are not prepared, nor are they equipped, to do what they want to do. But they refuse to wait on the Lord so that the Lord can prepare them. They have to go, and they have to go now. And this impatience leads to failure. And failure leads them to disappointment. And disappointment leads them to discouragement. And discouragement leads them to defeat. And it all stems from being impatient and not waiting on the Lord and allowing the Lord to bring us along as He sees fit. We must be patient. Now, what can this Christian do to avoid... This spiritual traffic jam, what can you and I do to avoid this spiritual traffic jam of impatience? Well, first we can do this. We can develop patience. It's not rocket science, is it? Just learn to be patient. Patient, the Bible says, is a virtue. It is evidence of the indwelling spirit of God. We gain patience by enduring life's trials. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, Paul tells us, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Patience. Tribulation. Trials. Troubles. Problems. Teach us patience. So when we face trials, we should rejoice in the knowledge that from these fires, we will learn patience. We will learn to wait upon the Lord for our strength. In Psalm 27, David writes, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Oh, I tell you, We're so impatient today, aren't we? We live in an instant generation. Everything is instant. We want it, and we want it yesterday. I mean, cooking nowadays is all done in the microwaves, and it's just, it can't be done fast enough anymore. And we live in in a world where everything has to be now. I, I observe young married couples today who have to have... Who have to start having all these things it took their grandparents 35 or 40 years of marriage to achieve. And, and because they're not patient enough to wait on these things, they, they try to push their way through to get all these things they want. And that leads them, as I said a moment ago, to failure. And then they become discouraged. And then they, they, they become defeated and quit. We must learn to develop patience. But also, we must, secondly, learn contentment. This impatient Christian must develop patience, but this impatient Christian also must learn contentment. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells Timothy, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith, Content. I love to to greet Lou when he comes in the church. I say, how you doing? And he'll always say the same thing, laughing and scratching. Just happy as can be. Paul said, we brought nothing into this world, and we're taking nothing out. We can't carry any of it with us. And you know, the Lord has knowledge of what I need. Now, I may think I need more than the Lord has seen fit to give me. But the Lord knows what I can handle. And he gives me what I can handle. You know, sometimes I think, Lord, why didn't you make me rich? But I know why. Because I couldn't handle it. And the Lord knows that I couldn't handle it. Some people can handle lots of money. If you can handle lots of money, see me after the service. Because I'd like to talk with you... Maybe we can come to an arrangement. But the Lord knows that he knows I can't handle that. I'm sorry. I wish I could, but I can't. And the Lord says, I'm not going to give you a lot of money because if I do, it's going to corrupt you. So he keeps me very hungry and he keeps me very needy. I don't mean hungry. You can look at me and tell I'm not a very hungry guy. I've had more than my share of hungry man dinners. I'll tell you that right now. But the Lord keeps me very needy of him. The Lord, the Lord has taught me to be happy with what he's given me. Uh, I don't need a better job. I'm happy with the job I have. I don't need a better wife. I couldn't find a better wife if I looked. I'm happy with the wife. Now, I could use some better children. I could use that. If you, have, <laughs> if you can tell me, no, I'm joking. I wouldn't trade my children for the world. We just need to learn to be happy and content. You know, most Christians have problems because they're just not happy. They're not content with what they have and where they are. And we just need to learn contentment. You know, sometimes I just can't do what I want to do. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. That's what I wanted to do. When I was a young boy, I used to dream of being an Air Force fighter pilot. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And when I, got up into, when I got to college, I went to the ROTC office and I said, I want to be a fighter pilot. And they made me take all the tests and all the physicals and the guy said, you can't be a fighter pilot. I was devastated. So because I could not be a fighter pilot, that, did that mean I should just give up? You see, I wanted to be a fighter pilot, but God wanted me to be a high school teacher. And the Lord said, no, I don't want you to be a fighter pilot. I want you to teach young people about me. And so the Lord decided what I would do. And I had to be content with taking things as the Lord gave them to me. I didn't know what lay ahead in my life. But I just kept on going and learned to wait on the Lord and allow him to guide me. You know, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 tells us this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And folks, that's what we need. We just need to be patient. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to be content with what the Lord has given us, what he's given us to do, and do it it to the best of our ability. Do it faithfully, and just be happy, contented people. And if we do that, we will avoid this traffic jam of impatience in our life. But there are other causes of traffic jams also. Cause number two is indecisiveness. Indecisiveness. Now, this next group of drivers are different in nature from the first group, but their actions yield the same result. They end up in traffic jams. This group also speed along, weaving in and out of traffic, but for a totally separate, separate different reasons. This group isn't in a hurry. <laughs> they just don't know where they're going. These are the drivers that ride in the commuter lane and suddenly come up on their exit, and they are four or five lanes over, and they have to get over there. You all know what I'm talking about. The guy that has to just get across every lane of traffic because his, his, his exit ramp is approaching very quickly. If necessary, they come to a screeching halt with their signal light on while traffic is moving at 80 miles an hour, looking for an opening to jump in. And this is the same, this same is true for many Christians. They have no idea where they're heading, no idea where they're going, No idea what they believe. One of the things I mentioned when I I taught the adult Bible class um, earlier, one of the things I challenged our class one Sunday morning is this. Go out and find out what it means to be a Baptist. We claim to be Baptists, so do we know what that means? Do we have any idea what it means to be a Baptist? And this is what... We have to do. These people are just chugging along, happy-go-lucky, without a care in the world. These people do not choose a church because of its doctrine. Rather, they choose a church because of how it makes them feel. Or because of the personality of the pastor. I've known people over the years that attended churches simply because they liked the pastor. It didn't matter what denomination he was. They just like the pastor, so they're going to attend the church. I was out visiting one day some folks who visited our church, and and this is what the guy told me. He says, well, your church just doesn't feel good. I said, you know, when I go out looking for shoes, I look for shoes that feel good. But when I go out looking for a church, I want a church that's going to tell me like it is. I want a church who's going to teach true doctrine whether I like it or not. We don't pick a church like we do a pair of shoes or, 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 a, or a, a coat or a sweater. We must know what we believe. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verses 14 and 15, <clears throat> Paul writes that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Then one day, th- this Christian, their whole life comes to a screeching halt because they find themselves out of position doctrinally. Now, what can we do to avoid this type of spiritual traffic jam? Well, first we can, we can do this. Know doctrine. We should know doctrine doctrine 2 Timothy 2:15 study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth we should study we should we should know true doctrine when we hear it you know before i take a trip i study a map i make sure that i know where i am going I'm amazed, at again, at how many people consider themselves Baptists, yet they have no idea what Baptists historically believed. They're just cruising along through life in the fast-track lane, and they're heading right into error, and they have no clue what the truth is. But if they would simply stop and study and stop acting like minor birds, mimicking every sound they hear... From, from the hyper-fundamental neo-Baptist preachers of our day that have corrupted our Baptist doctrine, they would get over in the right lane and they would avoid the traffic jams. Every time our pastor preaches, and I love our pastor, but every time he preaches, I have my Bible with me. And I make sure that the lane that I am traveling in is the right lane. And I don't have any fear of this because I have GPS on board. And it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit tells me exactly where to turn and exactly what to do. We should know doctrine. But not only should we know doctrine, but we should plan for success. Plan for success. And Daniel 1.8, the Bible states, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Now Daniel decided long before he was taken captive into Babylon that he would obey and honor God. He made provision for success. I don't know if you were a New England Patriots fan or a New York Giants fan in the Super Bowl, but I'm going to tell you something. The Giants went and they played the game To win. They didn't just show up to play. They didn't just say, okay, well, we know we're going to lose to the Patriots, but we're going to have fun playing the game. No, they went there to win. They, they, you know, Plexico Burris uh, said we're going to win. Everybody gave him a hard time about it. But guess what? (laughs) They won. They planned for success. They worked hard. And by the way, Jesus went to the cross to save Not to make salvation possible, but to make salvation sure. God is a God of success. And he wants us to plan for and pursue success. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, John states, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. God does not want you and I to be confused. In 1 Corinthians 14.33 we read, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Listen, I don't think or hope I have the right doctrine. I know I have the right doctrine. And we must know doctrine, and we must plan for success. What causes spiritual traffic jams? Impatience. Indecisiveness. Then number three, what causes traffic jams? This is a big one. Convergences. Convergences cause traffic jams. Have you ever noticed how just on the other side of a major interchange, traffic just takes off and flows smoothly? Have you ever noticed that? If you leave to go to Santa Rosa... Between here and Highway 12, it's just bumper to bumper. But when you get on the other side of Highway 12, what happens? Well, actually, when you get on the other side of the mall, what happens? Boom. Wow. Where did it all go? There were 52,000 cars in front of me just three seconds ago. And now it's all gone. I mean, it's bumper to bumper. And then it's clear. So why is this? What happens at convergences? Well, at interchanges, people are trying to get on and people are trying to get off the highway. These exchanges cause much confusion and anxiety in the hearts and minds of the drivers. Everyone finds themselves just trying to hold on to their own little spot on the road and get through the mess as quickly as possible. The confusion and anxiety is often compounded, though, by those drivers who absolutely refuse to give way. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, you, you suddenly find yourself in an emerging lane, and, and you don't have any place to go, and the guy on the right is giving you the look. You speed up, he speeds up. You slow down, he slows down. You speed up, you speed up. He slows down, he slows down. He's just not letting you in. Forget it. You're not getting getting in front of me. I mean, he'll run you off the road. But he won't let you in. Convergences. Unfortunately, this is a mentality that we see in many churches today. I have heard of churches that just simply refuse to allow any new members to join the church. It's the we for and no more philosophy. We don't need all these new people in this church giving us all these troubles. You see that mostly, you see this mostly in the rural areas of America where you have a lot of older saints who don't want all the problems that are associated with young families. And they say, no, 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 we don't need all of this. We don't want a preacher in here that's going to stir things up and bring people in. We don't want that. But conversely, I also heard of churches that attempt to intimidate those who are in to prevent them from attempting to get out. I mean, I've heard of people who tonight know that they're in the wrong church, but are afraid to leave that church. Afraid to leave the church. They're afraid of the stigma and of the criticism that will be hurled at them if they leave. Now, throughout our Christian life, we are going to face these convergences of people. Uh, uh, If you stay in church for any amount of time, uh, people are going to leave and people are going to come. And that's a constant thing. It's like a revolving door. People come and people go. Now, when facing these times in the church, what should we do? Well, consider this. First, how about this? Just give space to those who want to get off. Just let them off. Listen, there's not always a conspiracy involved. Why are they leaving the church? I bet you the pastor said something. I bet you the pastor did something to them. That's why they're leaving the church. You know, it's not always a conspiracy. You know, sometimes people just want to go. Sometimes they just want to leave. We are God's children, and we live and serve at his discretion. In John chapter 21, we read, Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. You know what? Jesus, in a very diplomatic way, just told Peter to mind his own business. He basically told Peter, Peter, it's none of your business what he does. You just worry about yourself. It was none of Peter's concerns where, when, and how John served Jesus. Peter needed to concentrate on following Jesus' will for his own life. And not worry about Jesus' will for John's life. Now, while I certainly do not want to see anyone leave our church, if one of our brothers decides it's best for he and his family to go, I will give him the space he needs to leave. And and I'll wish him well along his way and pray for him and, and do all I can to be a blessing to him. Listen, if people want to get off, give them space and let them go. We don't need to... We don't need to tie the church up in a frenzy over over things such as people leaving. Because if we do that, the church is going to stay in a frenzy because people are always leaving. But then secondly, consider this. If someone wants to get on, slow down and make room for those who want to get on. How about that? It's hard enough for people to come in and fit into a new church. We should not make it more difficult for them by attempting to hinder their transition into the church. In Luke chapter 11, in verse 46, we read, And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Listen, let me tell you something. When I got saved many years ago back in Louisiana, I am sure glad that Brother Gilbert opened his heart up and had patience with me when I decided to come into the church. I am sure glad that when when I stepped into that church all those years ago, that he looked past all of the exterior issues I had and he touched my heart with his love and compassion for me. I'm so thankful for that because it made all the difference in my entire Christian life. I remember when my wife and I arrived in California, we, were, we weren't here a week. And a, a couple from this church, uh, Tom and Pauline DeWitt, came over with their two daughters, came over to our house and brought either some cookies or a cake. I can't remember what you brought. I know it was good because I ate it all. But they came over to our home and they sat in our home and, and they welcomed us into the, to the community and welcomed us into the church and, 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 and opened their heart to us. And they've been, been such dear friends for all these years. It would have been so easy for them to, to just say, well, I don't know about that. You know, this, this guy coming from Louisiana here, I don't know about that. I don't know if we need a Cajun in this church. It's what gave us flavor. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I'm so thankful people like that welcomed us in and, and, and opened their heart to us. And that's what we ought to do. How do you treat people who walk in the doors of our church that are not dressed exactly as you think they should be dressed? What, what about if they don't smell exactly too good? How do you treat them? If, if they express more emotion during the singing, or, or preaching, than you think is right, how do we treat them? We better be careful here, because Jesus warned us about this. Turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 2. Let's all look at James. Chapter 2. And let's look at verse number 1, beginning in chapter 2 and verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor... Stand thou there, or or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? And we better be careful. When we get to these convergences in our church, we better be careful. We better slow down. And we better let those that want to get on, get on. Do not apply the preferences that you have developed over years of walking with the Lord to these new Christians. Or to new members of the church. Give them the opportunity to get in and get up to speed with the rest of the traffic. You ever notice, if you've been to any other part of the country, you ever notice how California has very short entry ramps onto the highway? Have you ever noticed that? Near my father's home, the entry ramp is like two miles long. I mean, you get on that thing and, whoa. Whoa. I mean, you have all the time you want to get up to speed and get into the flow. Here in California, forget it. You've you got to go from a 25-mile-an-hour turn to 80 miles an hour, and you've got to do it in 120 feet. And you've got to avoid the people coming off on the same, because the entry and the exit ramps are the same thing. <laughs> wow. Listen, just slow down. Let him on and then love them. Oh, these convergences can really snarl up our Christian life. Traffic jams, what causes them? Impatience, indecisiveness, convergences, and there's one more I'm going to talk about and we'll be done, and that's accidents. Nothing can bring traffic to a halt like an accident. Accidents block traffic lanes, they hinder traffic, they cause injury or death. Of course, we understand that accidents or problems are unavoidable in our Christian life. As we discussed at the beginning of the message tonight, Christ has told us that they will come. Even though we cannot prevent them entirely, we can minimize their impact on us if we are prepared. Now, when accidents do occur, number one, or when do accidents occur? Well, number one, they occur when we are careless. When we are careless. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We know we're going to have trials. We know the trials are going to come, so get ready for them. Be prepared. Don't be careless with your Christian walk. Be circumspect. Proverbs 16 and 18 states, Pride goeth before destruction, an unhaughty spirit before a fall. Listen, when we forget who we were and where we came from, we will begin to take for granted the blessings and the power of God. We ought to remember who we are. We ought to remember where we came from. Isaiah 51:1. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye were hewn, and the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Don't forget where you came from. Sometimes Christians, older Christians, tend to forget what it was like when you first got saved. How hard it is to come into a church and all of a sudden try to fit in with, the, with all the new things that you find. The greatest example of carelessness in the Bible is the story of Uzzah. And we don't have time to turn to it. You can read it later in 2 Samuel chapter 6. But the ark found its way into the home of Uzzah. And Uzzah became so familiar with the ark that he lost respect for the ark. And one day when they were moving the ark on a cart and they ran across a threshing floor, the ark, the ark uh, wobbled and Uzzah reached out and touched it to steady it. And only the priests could touch the ark. Only the high priest could could could. A matter of fact, no one could touch the ark. Only the, only the priest could carry it on golden poles. No one could touch the ark. And Uzzah reached out and put his hand on it. And God struck him dead. On the spot, he fell over dead. David got upset. But Uzzah became too familiar with the ark of God. And when you and I forget where we came from and who we were, We'll begin to think a little bit more of ourselves than we ought to. And we become careless. And accidents happen when we are careless. But not only do accidents happen when we are careless. Secondly, they happen when we are distracted. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 29 and 30, we read, And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. We know this story, Peter walking on the water to Jesus. And when he looked and took his eyes off the Lord and looked at the storm and became distracted, he, be- he lost his faith and he began to sink. To avoid distractions, we must keep our eyes on the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now quickly in closing, let me say this. Distractions come from two sources. First, internal distractions. Sometimes we become distracted within ourselves. <clears throat> My wife and I, we're, were not married very long, and... She was expecting our first child, and one day we were coming back from the doctor's office, and we were driving along, and, and she had some French fries. You know what story I'm telling She had some French fries, and we were driving along. And in our, in our little hometown, there was a railroad crossing, and it was, it was a, a big mound, and you'd go up and go over the railroad crossing and come down on the other side. And, and, and we were playing around, and she had some fries, and... And I was telling her how, yeah, you didn't share your fries with me. So she's trying to give me some fries, and I don't want the fries. And I'm driving, and she's shoving fries in my mouth. And my head's back, and when I come down over the track, and I look down, there's a car stopped right at the bottom. <coughs> and I'm doing about 40 miles an hour. And I darted over to the right, and I just clipped the back end of them, and we got in an accident. And it was because she distracted me. LAUGHTER There was a distraction inside the car, and the distraction inside the car took my attention off of what I was doing, and the accident happened, and that's what happens to us as Christians. We get our eyes off the Lord, and we start looking about what's happening inside, and we become distracted, and all of a sudden, we have an accident. But also, distractions can come from external sources as well. We can have external distractions. Mark chapter 4 and verse 19. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. My father has a very severe scar on his forehead right here. And when he was a young man, he was driving home from work one day and there was a crop dusting plane. And he was driving along and he was watching the crop dusting plane. And when he looked up, there was a semi-truck right in front of him. And he had drifted over into the lane. By the way, the semi-truck driver was also watching the crop duster. And the two of them didn't see each other. And they hit head-on. And my father hit the steering wheel, and it it literally took and shoved all the skin on his forehead all the way back up on his head. (laughs) External distraction. His attention was taken off the road because he was paying attention to something that was happening outside the car. And and Mark tells us that the cares of the world and and all these other things can often distract us and can cause us to have an accident. Spiritual traffic jams. These comparisons are are just designed to help you and I to, to, to see what can happen in our Christian life that can cause our life to get all tangled up. And instead of moving along the the, the pathway that the Lord wants us to move along smoothly and orderly, we get all snarled up in these traffic jams. How do we avoid these traffic jams? Well, be patient. Be content. Be decisive. Be compassionate towards the brethren. Walk circumspectly and keep our eyes on the Lord. Spiritual traffic jams. Are you going to become a victim of a spiritual traffic jam this year? I pray that we can all avoid these things. I pray that we can, as as Paul admonished us, walk worthy of the Lord in our Christian life. And just move along without all the confusion, without all the troubles, without all the problems. Each of us loving and caring about one another. Helping each other along. Keeping our lives moving forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. May we do that throughout this coming year. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And Lord, I just pray that you would help each of us to just remember who we are, where we came from. Father, not to forget, I pray that we would be compassionate toward uh, the brethren and compassionate toward, toward the people in our community witnessing, seeking to see people saved and brought into the, to the church. I just pray you'd help us to be patient. I pray you'd help us, Father, to, 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 to avoid the accidents, to keep our minds and hearts focused on you and avoid all of the distractions. Help us, Lord, to do these things, not that we might make a name for ourselves, but that we might live our lives worthy of you and that we might be pleasing in your sight. And that you might get the glory and the honor from all of these things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.